Welcome back to Rockford Reading Daily. Today's episode is going to be a review of the book Evicted Poverty and Profit in the American City by Matthew Desmond. But before we get into that, I would like to ask people to please share this episode on whatever social media platform you may frequent. would like to remind people we put these episodes out on SoundCloud, YouTube, Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Pocket Cast, anywhere audio is available. This podcast series is available as well. Now, evicted Matthew Desmond. Well, evicted poverty and profit in the American city by Matthew Desmond. I think that that subtitle is very important. That's what stood out to me the first time I seen this book in Barnes and Nobles was the subtitle of poverty and profit in the American city. And poverty and profit are two very important concepts that you must have some type of understanding of when entering into the struggle against police terrorism, mass incarceration, and racial injustice, because poverty and profit are such major characters in all three of those issues. And the first thing that stands out to me in looking back on this book, Evicted by Matthew Desmond, is poverty and are all the things that manifest when someone is impoverished or when families are impoverished, when communities, neighborhoods are impoverished. And Matthew Desmond took the approach of pointing out how fragile housing is when you are impoverished and dealing with poverty. And I think that poverty and profit are two sides of the same coin, a very thin line. In order for capitalism to work, it means that it has to be some people that are exploited. In order for people to be rich or wealthy in a capitalistic society, it means that it has to be other people who are poor and broke in the society. And that's not something that's really, when you learn about capitalism in school, that's not something that they taught you about. You know, communism is seen as a, a bad word. Socialism is seen as a bad word. Fascism, which is a negative thing in, in itself, you know, these and these aren't the exact same type of I'm starting to get into. Capitalism and communism are economic. Concepts, whereas fascism isn't an economic concept, but I'm just talking about how these things, how certain words get grouped together when you're going to to school, when you get an education in this country. And when those words get grouped together, they get a negative connotation and capitalism is put to the side of those and it's given a positive connotation. And the same thing with democracy is put to the side and given this positive connotation. And I think that one of the very first enlightening, one of the very first steps towards enlightenment that I took in these last two years was understanding the negative aspects of capitalism and not even just understanding the negative aspects of capitalism, but understanding the realities of capitalism and how capitalism actually functions outside of it just being this word that's used and thrown around in a economics course or in a history class. And this book evicted goes strike straight at the heart of capitalism. What I enjoyed about the, presentation of this book was that Matthew Desmond brought us into the lives of people who were dealing with poverty and brought us into the lives of people who were dealing with profit. He gave us both sides of the coin. And one of the things that I think is very important 
about gaining information and reading pieces of literature is that you are presented with both sides of an argument or that you are presented with the full the the full subject matter. And I try my best to always do that as well. I think that sometimes when you have a certain ideology, when you have a certain philosophy, you form those and you have formed those based off of learning about the negative and positive aspects of issues. And sometimes you can get into the routine of not presenting some of the presenting certain information because you've already sort of compartmentalized it and you've already taken from it what you need. And so I said that to say that within this book, Matthew Desmond did a good job of showing us what landlords go through and what the process is like for landlords and showing us that uh, even though the people that I personally read and had the most empathy with throughout this book were the tenants dealing with these landlords, that there were aspects of what the landlords deal with that you have to be empathetic towards, that you have to be understanding towards. And again, this is the people who are these landlords, they are in the books that we, in the book we read, Evicted, the landlords in these books were much better off than the tenants, were much more well-off than the tenants. And so they were not in the same type of situation of desperation that we were reading about the tenants being in. However, I do think that you did see that they were not at the top of the of the uh, food chain. You still seen that the state had ways to penalize landlords too, because the landlords are, they are better off than the people who are dealing with this poverty, but these landlords aren't Donald Trump or aren't Jeff Bezos or aren't some type of, uh, they weren't these people that welded, wielded all of this power. And so we see the power dynamics as well within this. I think that that's been another thing that's been un, uh, very important for me throughout these last two and a half years of struggling against police terrorism, mass incarceration and racial injustice and uh, learning new things and reading new information is understanding the pecking order that, that things exist in. And even though somebody might be in the position of being an oppressor to one person, it doesn't mean that in a different situation, they aren't being oppressed or exploited themselves. And the, the terminology hurt people, hurt people is something that stands out to me a, a lot. When I think about this book, Evicted. But once we got into the deeper and deeper in the book, we learned more and more about the tenants and less and less about the landlords. And the some of the overall reoccurring themes in multiple books that we have read here has been have been people dealing with. Uh, struggling with addiction issues. We read about that here in Evicted, how those issues of addiction perpetuate the cycle of poverty that they're in, how those issues of addiction a lot of times can facilitate to them being unhoused and just the limited amount of resources that are really available for people dealing with these addiction issues. And when you peel back the layers of these addictions and people dealing with addiction issues, what we have commonly found in the in the literature that we've read here is that they are people who are masking issues of mental health with these with these with these narcotics with these drugs they are people who are masking traumas that they've dealt with in their past life with these drugs i think of scott who was living in a trailer park and was evicted from the trailer park and then was bouncing around trying to find another place to live. And eventually at the end, he did find a place. But one of the things that was presented to us was that 
he had been sexually assaulted when he was a child. And I can't imagine dealing with something like that. And then I also become even more empathetic and understanding towards somebody dealing with addiction issues. When you learn, when I, as I learned the past experiences that they have had that have facilitated them having these issues of addiction. And for me, that's been a reoccurring thing. The end of policing really hit home with me with that. When they spoke about the, the, the chapters on policing, mental health and policing, the war on drugs and just talked about how many people who are taking these drugs and who are end up being unhoused are people who are having mental health issues and who don't have the right or don't have the, yeah, don't have the, the, the proper resources to help them deal with those things. And I think that's something that you have to keep in mind when we begin to talk about mass incarceration, when we begin to talk about police terrorism, that, that so many people are put into these prisons and put into these jails and have these cuffs on their wrist that are dealing with much, much deeper underlying issues. And until those issues are dealt with, until those issues are being looked at with the same onus or looked at with the same uh, urgency as the crimes they may have been committed are being looked at, that you'll just see the perpetuation of the cycle of crimes being committed. If you won't care just if you don't care more about dealing with the causes of people dealing with crimes, you will never be able to get rid of the effects of of crime. And then what stood out to me as well was the differences between racial experiences when looking for housing and the differences between racial experiences when talking about the subject of poverty. One of the big themes for the white people that we would read about within here was being was not so much that they were trying to it's not and of course they were trying to escape poverty but part of them being in poverty or part of their poverty experience their impoverished experience was looking at it well was looking at it as if well at least I'm not black uh when they were being when people were on the verge of being evicted from the trailer parks that were white, their main thing was they didn't want to go live where the black people lived on the north side of town. And, you know, there were we we read about one woman, Pam, I think Pam and Ned was the name of the, the couple. And she had two daughters who were black and who, who were mixed. I used to term black. I think if you have any black in you, then I consider you black because that is the political atmosphere that has been created in this country and i think that you do a disservice when you don't acknowledge some of that historical past and i think that it allows people who are of mixed race or are black and some other race mixed in there to feel as if they're ostracized from the black experience even though they daily still either they go through the black experience themselves or somebody that's close to them and family goes through the black experience like these young uh, black girls in here they went through the experience of being black because they had to deal with this racist stepfather who was reminding them of being black, who was talking negatively about their uh, negatively about their black features, their, you know, their pheno phenotypes, that's the right word, uh, who was talking negatively about their black features. And so they ha are having this black experience. 
Uh, but and, and this man was also using slurs and, you know, the woman, the mother talks about how she hoped these things didn't affect these young girls when they got older. And to me, it would just illustrated the fact that within poverty, within people who are poor, that there's sometimes a heightened amount of racism because the line of race is the only thing that keeps them from viewing themselves as being at the bottom of the totem pole in this American society. And that's something that you hear commonly all the time, you know. So that stood out to me as well, that the racial dynamic, that racial aspect. And then another racial aspect that stood out was the how a lot of the black people, how the how many more black people were being evicted than white people, how many more black women were being evicted than white people. They spoke about how for black men, it is being convicted and for black women, it is being evicted, that these are the systemic, some of the repetitions or perpetuations of cycles that these two different groups of people deal with. And then from that, I sort of, my, my mind goes to a lot of the statistics that were pointed out in here. And I wish I did a better job of highlighting while I was reading through this so I could read through some of those statistics real quick. But there was a lot of, statistical information about housing, a lot of statistical information about housing vouchers, about Section 8, the demographics of people in these in these areas. And I think a lot of times you can you can read those that statistical information and you might not be able to retain those specific statistics, which obviously I'm not at this exact moment. But I think the bigger, the more important thing is to is for those statistics to back up the narrative that you're reading about in the story or reading about in the piece of literature. And hopefully that those statistics can help to imprint that, that narrative and that information onto your mind. And so even though I can't think of any statistics specifically, one of the set of statistics that stood out to me was the, was the amount of black people as opposed to white people who were evicted one of the things that stood out to me as well was the amount of people who were evicted on a regular basis, whether it be daily, weekly, or yearly, that was pointed out in here. How, and one of the other things that stand out to me, he, talk, he spoke about how suicide was, how eviction was one of the causes for suicide that psychologists was, were pointing out and, and psychiatrists were pointing out and how that was an uh, uh, understated issue within evictions is the are these suicides he spoke about how more often pe how people who lose their homes increase their risk of also losing their jobs because of the stress that these evictions put on them he spoke about how most people when they were evicted they ended up living in more dangerous and more impoverished neighborhoods directly after the evictions he spoke about how damaging the 2008 housing crisis was to to black people and to people of color and and then when he began to speak about the some of the government some of the governmental aspects of these of this book the the process of being evicted going to court for eviction notices how many people don't even show up to the eviction notices how you're not entitled to a lawyer at these eviction court dates and how that disproportionately affects the tenants who are there how being, how started being arrested and 
and imprisoned and charged with with felonies and how those things can have a residual effect on the opportunities that you have for housing. He did a good job of going back to earlier periods of time in American history and pointing out how redlining and segregation, de jure and de facto segregation led to some led to the inner city in Milwaukee becoming impoverished in the way that it has and how that has happened all over the country. I learned a lot about the the housing voucher system in this book as well, which I think is something that's very important, just how many people are on these housing vouchers, how long the wait is to get to uh, get a, to be able to get approved to be on this housing voucher list. And one of the things that stands out to me the most is he spoke about how on these housing vouchers, they they cover what the average amount of rent is in an area. And but that takes in the wealthiest people or the the most expensive rents and the lowest amount of rents and how a lot of times landlords charge as much as they can on these housing vouchers so that way they can get as much money as they can. And the people who are looking for the houses don't don't bother them as much because just the percentage is taken out of their check. No, how much no matter how much the housing is and how what ends up happening is because the housing vouchers are end up being priced higher than they actually need to be, less people end up being able to get houses because more money is being more money is more money is being allocated to the current housing vouchers based off of the based off of the the rise in the prices. And I don't know if I'm and I'm I don't know if I'm explaining that right. I probably should give an example. Okay. So Sharina, who was a landlord, was renting out a home. And when she was renting out the home, she the housing voucher, the person who was going to rent it out was going to live there with the housing voucher. And the house was, I think she said like maybe a, a 600, 650 for rent normally. But because this woman was going to have a housing voucher, she was going to charge her 750 for the rent because that was the mo- that was the most she could charge on the housing voucher or maybe she could charge like 50 more dollars or something like that but she didn't think she would be able to get that so she essentially charged her 100 or 150 more than the rent would typically cost somebody because this woman had a housing voucher the woman who just needed a place to live she didn't care 30% got taken out of her check no matter how much the rent cost and so she moved in Sharina got extra money for the uh, for the house but the statement that the Matthew Desmond was pointing out is that that happens so many times over that if these landlords were charging the right amount for the people living in these housing vouchers instead of overcharging, that there would be surplus money to give to more people so that way they could have housing. And but that's not done. The, there is, again, the, the system of exploitative actions is what's continued. And so that ends up making the the t- hurting the tenants in the long run. And I think that's one of the other things that stands out a lot as well. Reading through this book is how many things hurt the tenants in the long run that may help them in the short run. We've read about so many people trying to move in as immediately as possible because they have nowhere else to live. And in the midst of wanting to move in, they basically compromise the quality of the house that they're moving into. And, that that quad they never have that same type of leverage again because now they're in the house now they're paying rent they end up getting back on rent and now the door that didn't work when you first moved in still doesn't work the water that didn't work when you first moved in still doesn't work the oven still doesn't work and now you've lost your leverage because you're inside the house and you've already paid first last month rent 
security deposit and things like that. And it, it was just so many things like that that stood out to me. And and also what stands out is it was a chapter in here called The Hood is Good. And it just spoke about how many people were able to turn a profit, not from buying houses and renting or selling them to rich people or wealthy people, but from buying these properties and then renting them out to people who were poor and people who were in poverty because it costs less to get the house that's in the in the poor neighborhood that people who are going to move into the poor neighborhood are in more desperate situations. So you probably have to do less work to get them to move in. You have to do less work keeping up the house and you still be, you're still able to make all this money in. And, and, and again, that type of exploitation of poverty is a staple of the American society. And, and to me, that's one of the reasons that you have to really read these books and you have to really listen to people speak about these things and it can't be something that you just hear about one day or talk about one day and then you go on and passing well you know it can't be for people who aren't trying to organize but for people who want to organize you have to have an intimate understanding of all of these different aspects of these issues and i've read the color of law high risers evicted and now i'm reading a book called hinterland america's new landscape of class and conflict and the book police cops community and power i think that's what it's called cops citizens and power citizens cops and power but all five of those books do a very good job of speaking about issues that exist in neighborhoods the difference between neighborhoods and communities issues that exist in different locales why it's difficult for community policing to be a reality in some of these places, how poverty functions in, in these neighborhoods and in these communities and in these areas of the city, how these areas of the city began to be impoverished and uh, have resources divested from them. And all of those things are, even though none of these books are specifically about what's going on in Rockford or in Winnebago County, each one of the books touch on very true aspects to what's going on in Rockford and in Winnebago County. And so for me, even though, again, even though none of these books were specifically about Rockford, I learned a lot about Rockford from reading about other people's experiences. And then in the, in the, in turn, I learned also from reading through evicted about Milwaukee and the experience that's, that is true in Milwaukee. And in Citizens, Cops and Power, I think the book was based in Seattle. And I learned a lot about the realities of what's in Seattle. I'm reading this book, Hinterland, right now. And this is sort of giving me a landscape of rural, of what goes on in the political realm in rural areas. And it's still teaching me things about urban areas as well. And so those are just some of the places again that my mind goes to when reflecting about this book let's see i think that also what stood out to me again reading through this is the unique experience that women go through when dealing with housing and i think that that's been an important theme for me throughout these readings is finding different perspectives and different vantage points that are not mine and being able to view these issues through those vantage points and through those perspectives and then adding that onto my perspective to widen out my to widen my vantage point to gain a, a bigger uh 
to gain a, a look at the bigger picture that exists. You know, if you only continue to to analyze issues through your own individual perspective, there's no way for you to get a look at the bigger picture. You'll still keep looking at that same portion of the picture over and over again. And this book was very good for widening that perspective, just the 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 violence that these women were continually having to deal with, the both verbal, the verbal assaults that these women were dealing with, the discrimination uh, that these women were dealing with, the the women of color were dealing with, the broken homes. Uh, broken homes have been a have been a a reoccurring theme in a lot of the books that we've read as well too, and just the damage that these broken homes can do to the children that are within them, and and how poverty perpetuates and exasperates these broken homes and education as well. This book spoke about how one of the kids, I think his name was Jory. Jory had moved schools like five times in two years because his mom kept having to move, uh, move homes and find different places to live at. Jafaris was Jory's younger brother, how he was, he wasn't even going to school sometimes because he was, his mom was trying to look for a house or look for a home. And she was just keeping everybody together while she was doing those things. And again, that gets you to understand how, why the educate, some of the ed issues of, of education exist in the society in which it, in the way in which it exists, just because of the instability that people have had growing up. And that instability, again, is directly impacted by poverty. And so we just see this book just showed you how many aspects of an individual's life can be heavily altered by dealing with poverty. Let's see. We're at about 25 minutes. I'm trying to think, is there anything else specifically? And then police terrorism. This book, they spoke about the sheriffs coming in when people were being evicted and essentially coercing people out of their homes. You know, he spoke about the The amount of money that these sheriffs were paid to come and ride along and do these evictions, how how they profit off of these evictions as well. We learned about how this moving company basically part of the way it was able to build itself to be as lucrative as it was, was by being the moving company that would do that would help and assist in evictions. And so we've seen how many other industries profit off of people being too poor to keep their homes. And, you know, that is one of the the ironies of America is that there are so many people who are only rich and only wealthy because they have found ways to profit off of other people being poor. And, and that's what I think that that's the main thing that I get out of this book is how many people have found ways to profit off of other people being in poverty. So we're going to end this episode here. We will be back tomorrow with another episode of Rafa Reading Daily. We will begin reading Hinterland, America's New Landscape of Class and Conflict by Phil A. Neal. I'm about halfway through the book now, a little more than halfway through the book. This is a shorter book, so probably it'll take about two weeks. Then we'll wrap that up. We'll do another review episode like this, and then we'll be on to the next book. All right. I want to thank people for taking the time to listen. Remember, we put these episodes out on a daily basis to provide people the opportunity to begin or further their journey in the struggle against police, terrorism, mass incarceration, and racial injustice. And I will holler at you tomorrow.